there's always this thing when you start doing video. But anyway, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again to worship you and honor you in this hour that you've granted us as your people, wherever we are, those who name Christ according to his gospel. May you bless us this morning with the understanding, bless your people with the truth of Christ, encourage your people by the truth of a salvation that is sure, that is accomplished, that is stored for them, that is immutable, cannot be lost by anything that we do because we never were responsible for the doing of it. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. May you grant us understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, one and all, and welcome again to our morning service in the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to be in the book of Exodus. If you still remember, we started the book of Exodus some few weeks, maybe a few months back. And we did that in preparation for Romans. And we kind of took a detour to go back to Romans. So once every month, we'll come back to Exodus and we'll keep pushing it. And for now, I'm thinking to the Red Sea, we'll see if the Lord will grant me to go beyond that. But we are in Exodus chapter 10, but we're going to be very greedy. We're going to be everywhere in Exodus, a lot of text. We have to use a lot of text because your faith has to be founded on a lot of text. <laughs> okay, Exodus chapter 10, it's not everybody who has spent a lot of time over the years to read the Old Testament, so I don't assume that people know what it says, so I prefer to read the text. And that makes our messages long, but that's fine. It's worth it. Okay? So this is from the New King James, Exodus chapter 10. Moses writes and says, now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'll bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, 
How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, who are the ones that are going. And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our heads. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, you who are men, and save the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hell had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord had in Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go save the Lord, only let your flocks and your heads be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to save the Lord our God and even... We do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well, I will never see your face again. And that's the word of the Lord. It's a lot of stuff. We have done a message before titled God Hardened Pharaoh's Heart. This is a similar message but takes things in a different direction. 
It's going to be titled, Why Did Pharaoh Harden His Heart? Why did Pharaoh harden his heart? And I don't know, it's not a title, but it's a question that relates to the title. What does it mean? And what is the gospel understanding of that title? What does it mean? So we are back to Egypt again to continue with our gospel testimony according to Israel in Egypt. Israel is in bondage to Pharaoh and they have been there for about 430 years and God has appeared to deliver his people from their slavery as he had promised that he would do to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant by Genesis 15. But when you're talking deliverance, you're talking salvation. And when God shows up, he comes to preach the gospel of salvation. And that means he comes to bring the testimony of Christ. Thus, we can't talk of salvation if we do not see those things that represent or respect Christ in this story or any other story for that matter, we must always look to find and find things that represent the issues that have been presented to us as important, as foundational, as critical in the matter of salvation, Elsewhere in the Bible, because these are recurrent themes from Genesis to Revelation. And so those things are what necessitated the appearance of Christ Jesus. So it is impossible to read any story of the Bible and not find these things. They are there. So in Egypt, God has appointed and called Moses. Moses who wears many hats in typology. If you have been following our Exodus series, you would know that Moses wears many hats. And later, God is going to call on Moses' brother Aaron, and both are Levites. You have to pay attention to that. They are Levites. And they are commissioned to the work of delivering his people going and speaking to Pharaoh as mediators for the freedom of God's people, a people who were laboring heavily under the taskmasters of Pharaoh, making bricks without straw. In other words, working without any help from Pharaoh, having at this stage to fend for themselves, as Pharaoh has said. And yet Pharaoh not reducing the quarter of bricks that they were assigned to make. Pharaoh said everyone has to make a certain number of bricks every day without fail. And these taskmasters, who are unbendable, 
in their demands to or of those who are slaves are a picture of the law that is imposing burdens of righteousness to a people who are sinners. The children of Israel have to make the bricks every day. They have to meet their quarter of bricks every day. And so if you're talking righteousness, you have to be righteous, not some week, not some month, but daily. By every minute, every second, you have to be righteous. And that you say, the Lord does not help a sinner to meet their quota of righteousness as has been imposed by God, who is pictured in this drama by Pharaoh, the sovereign king of Egypt. In the Bible, where you see a sovereign king, it doesn't matter how brutal they are, they are a picture of God. Also, the law does not reduce its standard so that sinners can hopscotch over it and say, oh yeah, I'm doing the law. Look at my hopscotching. If the standard of the law could be reduced, if it were possible for the law standard to be reduced, then you and I could do it. And that would mean that Christ died in vain. That's what it means. If you could do the law, Christ died in vain. So if these people should be set free, there has to be another way. The God-given way, the acceptable way that satisfies God. If you should be saved, it cannot be by your own obedience. Just forget that. There has to be another way. Because you are the one who is pictured in the testimony of Israel in Egypt. Israel is not some other people out there that happened some 4,000 years ago. No, that's you. Okay? So if we understand the predicament of Israel in Egypt, then we should also understand our own predicament. That's the point. But this Moses was known to Pharaoh. Moses was not just some guy walking on the streets of Cairo. <laughs> and so he was qualified by reason of having been brought up in the house of Pharaoh to approach him and seek audience with Pharaoh without being thrown out of Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. He probably is the most powerful person on planet Earth at this time of history. So you just don't up and go to Pharaoh's house. Okay? It's very important. And so... A mediator for your salvation who is not known of God is useless. Is useless to you 
and me because they cannot approach God. Your mediator has to be able to approach God. Thus, Christ alone is qualified as the God-man to be your mediator between you and God. Christ alone. Because he was raised in the house of God and also he is God. He is the son of God. If you bring any other mediator who is not Jesus to speak for you before God, know this. You have already lost the case. God will not hear you. And the majority of what is called gospel has you as your own mediator before God. You come in before God talking about yourself. When you talk about yourself before God, you are saying, I am my own mediator before him. That is why in Matthew 7, those people were thrown out by Jesus because they were talking instead of letting Jesus to talk. When you come before God, Jesus has to speak. If you are speaking, then you are in trouble. <laughs> because Jesus is the advocate. He is the family lawyer. That's what that term actually means, the Greek term for advocate. With respect to Jesus means the family lawyer. Okay? So, Moses is qualified to come in the presence of Pharaoh. But all attempts to reason with Pharaoh have dismally failed to this stage. They failed because God wanted all the initial efforts to set his people free to fail. But why? For many reasons which we shall expound. But we have a question before we get there. Someone will say, well, Pharaoh seems to have been resisting God. Nine miracles, plagues, and still we are told that Pharaoh hadn't his heart and he would not let the people go. Was that saying God had been overpowered by Pharaoh? Was God actually overpowered by Pharaoh? I thought God's power was irresistible. He says in Isaiah, he will accomplish all his good pleasure. Okay? Was God overpowered by some mere mortal guy who would later be buried in the pyramids? <laughs> no. The mission to persuade Pharaoh with words and threats did not work, just as God said they wouldn't. God said right at the very beginning, before Moses even went to see Pharaoh, that he would harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the people go. And we observed that to be a very strange command because you would have thought that God would have given Pharaoh 
some supernatural desire, ability, persuasion to expedite the salvation of his people and free them bloodlessly without all the things that later happened. God should have done that. The God of love should have done that. <laughs> no. God had in Pharaoh to not let the people go, and yet God wanted his people to be set free. I want my people to be set free, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he doesn't let my people free. That's exactly what is happening. Doesn't make sense. It's like God is suffering from schizophrenia or something. It doesn't make sense. A lot of people cannot process this. They don't know what to do with that. After all, that is the reason why he appeared to Moses at the burning bush. He said, I have heard the cry of my people. I've seen their misery and I have come down to set them free. But when you go to Pharaoh, tell him to set my people free, but I'm going to Make it hard for him. Impossible. He won't set my people free. But we know that God is not double-minded. God is not of confusion. He was teaching. God was teaching many things, particularly the way that a sinner is set free who has been laboring and a bondage. God says he wants his people to be set free that they may come and serve him, come and worship him. And people say, oh, I just don't know what is God's will for my life. <laughs> well, God's will for your life is very simple. To know Christ. Yeah? To know Christ and worship him and ascribe glory to his name for who he is and what he has done. That's God's will for your life. You may buy a Bentley sometime. may never happen. may happen, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> okay? That's not really God's will for your life. Let's backtrack and get to some background starting from around Exodus chapter 7. In Exodus chapter 7, the first plague was introduced. It was the turning of water into blood. And that mirrored the first miracle by the Lord Jesus in the book of John, John chapter 2, the miracle at Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turned water into wine. And Jesus is saying, he is greater and better than Moses. Moses' first miracle turns water into blood and drinkable. Jesus turns water into wine, and the party goes on. Christ greater than Moses. 
But that miracle of Moses accomplished nothing. He did not accomplish the salvation of God's people. And so in chapter 8 of Exodus, the second plague was introduced. The plague of frogs. Big and small, slimy, colorful, yellow-green frogs with their gazillion eggs and a lot of froggy noise, froggy voices, (laughs) and driving everyone crazy. I mean, just imagine 20,000 frogs outside there. We couldn't even do this message. (laughs) But this was Pharaoh's response. Exodus 8.15 after the frogs had been taken away, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not hit them as the Lord had said. Then, the third plague was introduced, the plague of lice. Very itchy. Even the magicians got some lice. The magicians of Pharaoh had replicated or were able to duplicate the other two miracles. But at this one, the third plague, they said, Exodus 8, 19, this is what they said to Pharaoh. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard And he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh is not even listening to his own magicians. Still in Exodus 8, the fourth plague was introduced, the plague of flies. Flies and their noise. These big ugly heads. (laughs) Getting on everybody's food. Yeah. And at this point, Pharaoh seemed to want to come to the negotiating table. But based on his own terms and conditions of release. He wanted Israel to sacrifice in the land of Egypt. Not to go out of the land of Egypt, but to have their sacrifice right in the land of Egypt. Exodus 8, 28. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go. That you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far. (laughs) Okay, just go just a little bit. But don't go too far. But whilst you are there, please intercede for me. Pharaoh is getting to be religious. Please intercede for me. Can you put out a word for me? A a word of prayer to the Lord for me? (laughs) Of course, the Lord, through Moses, rejected the proposal. Because the sacrifice that causes salvation cannot be sacrificed within the camp, but outside the camp. As the Lord Jesus Christ was to be sacrificed outside the city gates of Jerusalem, outside the camp. 
God is already preaching Christ. So the sacrifices to God by Israel cannot be given in Egypt. They have to get out of there. So Israel must leave the city and go to the outskirts for the reproach of Christ. That's Hebrews teaching. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 of Exodus, the fifth plague was visited upon the lands of Egypt, the death of the livestock. But God was always making a difference between the Egyptians and his people, Israel. That's what you're going to see with every plague. Those who were in Goshen, Goshen is where God's people lived. They were not affected by the plagues. And that is election. That's what election does. It makes the difference between peoples. It is God who makes us to differ. The believer and unbeliever are different, not because one was more intelligent or the other exercised their will to choose Jesus. No, there's nothing like that. It is God who makes the difference. So Israel was paired of the judgment of these plagues not because they were better people than the Egyptians, but because they were elect. For they too worshipped the same abominations that were in Egypt. That's what they did. <laughs> the, the children of Israel were worshipping the false gods of Egypt. Okay? So God is he who made them to differ. But the, but the heart of Pharaoh continued to be hard. And so that takes us to the sixth plague, the plague of boils. And the boils were bad. They even got to the magicians themselves. But God hardened the people's heart so that he would not let the people go. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that means the Lord was cranking up the temperature on Pharaoh. <laughs> Seventh plague. The plague of hell over all of Egypt. And still, those in Goshen were not affected by the judgment. This is gospel preaching. God's judgment is not going to touch you. Because you are in this place called Goshen. If there was an Egyptian in Goshen, guess what? They were not touched by the judgment. And Goshen is a picture of the New Testament in Christ. Goshen is a picture of being in Christ. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None of these things come upon you because of where you are and in whom God has put you. Okay? Exodus 9, 13 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. 
For at this time, I'll send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there's none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, in that you will not let them go. God says something theologically very important that becomes very foundational in the theology of Romans 9 in respect of salvation and God's gracious election and reprobation. This verse 14, sorry, verse 16, becomes very foundational to the understanding of God's sovereignty in election and reprobation. God says, He will send plagues to Pharaoh, to his very heart, and his servants and the people, that they may know that he is the Lord, that there's none like him in all the earth. There's none like the Lord God in all the earth. Is that what is being preached this morning in a lot of places? Is this how people are preaching Christ? Are we believing in him in a way that shows that he alone is God and he alone is the righteousness? God is shown to be God when he does whatever he wants without apology. That is what it means to be God. You do whatever you want. Without a but. God does whatever he wants. Because if God's righteousness can be duplicated by you and me as Pharaoh's magicians did with the first two miracles. Yeah? The magicians were able to some level to duplicate some of the early miracles of Moses. If we bring a gospel that you and I are able to duplicate the righteousness of Christ to some level, as the preachers, the magicians, the servants of Pharaoh, then we do not belong to Christ. We belong to Pharaoh. The righteousness that we declare in the gospel should not and cannot be duplicated. Not by sheer determination, not by hard work, not by an act of the will in progressive sanctification, because in progressive sanctification, you are saying, if you were given enough time, you can duplicate the righteousness of Christ. That's what that is saying. That if you are given enough time, on a good day, you are able to duplicate the righteousness of Christ. As what happened with the magicians of Pharaoh. This is a very important point. 
Our gospel should only leave God alone to be the Lord our righteousness. God alone to be praised. Christ alone to be praised because he has become to us the wisdom from God. He is all the wisdom from God. He is the righteousness, the sanctification, which is the holiness and the redemption so that any who boss would boss in God alone or that none should boast. Christ has become all these things. For us who believe, the redeemed are already holy. They are sanctified. We are redeemed. We are righteous in Christ. That's straightforward teaching and understanding to me. So be careful of the magicians of Pharaoh because they duplicate some things. (laughs) But the Lord said to Pharaoh, Verse 15, still in Exodus chapter 9. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from death. God says, I could have easily killed you and ended this right from the beginning. That is a small thing for me to do. You don't have to catch COVID, Pharaoh. I can just kill you, just like that. But there's a reason why I hardened your heart. Yes, it feels like you have this thing under your power and control and will. Like, oh Moses, you cannot do this. You guys cannot go two miles further east. You can't do this. And like, Pharaoh is feeling like he's in control. God says, no, 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 I could have killed you. Right at the beginning. But things are not the way they seem, Pharaoh. Why? Because of verse 16. God gives the reason why he hasn't killed Pharaoh. But indeed for this purpose, I have raised you up. That I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all death. This is why I haven't killed you. God says for this purpose, I have raised you up. I have raised you up, not your mother. So God claims to be behind the life and rise of Pharaoh, as I have said in previous messages. Pharaoh, just like Judas, could not get sick. He could not contract pneumonia, COVID, and die. Pharaoh may have had a political campaign, raised money, even bribe people. But God says, that is not what put you in office. (laughs) I did that. Everyone has their own. For this very purpose, I raised you up close. I'm going to repeat that. Everyone, every person has their own For this very purpose, I've raised you up. That purpose is defined by him. And that to say, all of life and all its circumstances have been raised by God's determination. 
A lot of people died, have died with this cage of HIV and AIDS. That disease ravaged a lot of people, especially where I come from. It killed people, still killing people across the world. I talked to a friend. He's still somewhere in Africa there. And he said, he still doesn't know why he's still alive. <laughs> Given the many shenanigans that he was involved in in his early years. And yet, he's still alive. He is not sick. Many things could have killed you. You tried to kill yourself. Too many things that you did to endanger your own life. And for some reason, for this very purpose, I raised you up. You did not die. And that to say there's nothing called free will. There's no one who is in charge of their destiny. We hear that, oh, I'm in control of my destiny. No, you can't even cause the wind to blow the other way. You're not in control of anything. Okay? By his free will, Pharaoh could not and would not have been the king of Egypt. And none gets saved because they exercised their so-called free will. It's nowhere in the Bible. God says, for this very reason I raised you. I raised you to salvation or to destruction. So whatever is happening in your life, God raised you for this purpose and he has raised the circumstances for this purpose. Whatever is happening in this world, here and now, God has raised the situation for this purpose or he has caused it or he is causing it. <laughs> the situation in Ukraine will not have a resolution until he says, stop. It's him running the show. Okay? Hear this again, verse 16. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So God is taking power away from Pharaoh and says it all belongs to him. He is the one who raised Pharaoh to do what? To be the king of Egypt. To do what? To oppress his people. To do what? To refuse his people to be set free. Why? So that God would show his power in him, in Pharaoh, that God's name may be declared in all the earth, that is so that his name may be glorified. But the power of God is shown in Pharaoh in what way? Number one, by Pharaoh being the king of Egypt, the sovereign king of Egypt, of a powerful nation. God says the decrees and ordinances that Pharaoh has made as he rules the nation was actually God working through him. 
And that means Pharaoh is a type of God. Pharaoh is a type of God. A lot of people reduce Pharaoh to just some evil king in Egypt. No, no. If you do that, you miss the majority of what God is teaching. Pharaoh is a type of God. Just as King Ahasuerus was a type of God in the book of Esther. Pharaoh was a type of God. We must understand this to understand the gospel that God is preaching in Egypt. And Pharaoh has put God's people under bondage to slavery. Follow my thinking. Pharaoh is he who has put God's people under slavery. And yet 400 years prior, God talked about his people being in slavery. God was not just making a prophecy. He was going to cause it. Through Pharaoh. There arised a pharaoh, a king who did not know Joseph, right? But God says, this was not your idea. It was me working in you to show my power. And Pharaoh worked his decrees through his servants, his taskmasters, to oppress Israel. And as I said, Pharaoh's servants were pictures of sin and law. Where there's oppression, where there's slavery, that's the picture of the power of sin and law. And Pharaoh is he who issued the decree to oppress God's people. Pharaoh issued the law, the decrees, and he also had the servants to oppress the children of Israel. And so God works his purpose to glorify himself through his servants law and sin. You understand this? <laughs> That's where this is going. God works to glorify himself through his servants law and sin. Because law and sin work together to produce what? To produce slavery. To produce death. We are speaking spiritual terms. Law and sin always produce death. They work together. 100% of the time, when you mix law and sin, you always get death. If you don't understand this, you're always going to say a lot of things and call us antinomians. <laughs> so law and sin oppress God's people just as the servants of Pharaoh worked with Pharaoh and his decrees to oppress Israel. And so Israel found itself in a very difficult, impossible situation having to meet a daily quarter of bricks and yet not being given the resources, the ability by Pharaoh to meet that quarter. 
and then be made liable for it. And so the sinner find themselves hopeless, hopelessly laboring the same way with respect to salvation. If they should be under the law, because the law is the taskmaster set by God to demand a daily quarter of righteousness from birth to death. And yet does not help a sinner to be righteous. The Lord does not help you to meet your daily quarter of righteousness. And yet God expects you to meet the standard on a daily basis. And so God raised Pharaoh to show his power, not just in the destruction of Pharaoh, as many think about it, but his power of salvation. The power of God here respects salvation. The real matter is not the destruction of Pharaoh, the person of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not the most wicked person to ever exist on planet Earth. But it's about the power of God in the salvation of his people who are under a very oppressive situation, an impossible situation, with no power to set themselves free. So God's power is shown in the person of Christ coming and bringing the gospel of salvation that Paul called is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So the power of salvation to be shown in Egypt was Christ Jesus, that my power may be shown. So that's where we are going The power that is to be shown is the power of Christ in salvation. Okay? Who shall then come in the testimony of the Passover lamb? Christ is introduced to us now in the Passover lamb in the chapters to come. And this God, as Paul would later explain in Romans 9, also shows his power in his sovereign election and reprobation. That's a demonstration of God's power. It's a demonstration of God's right to do whatever he wants to do. And that to say the matter of sin and law were given by God's determination to demonstrate to his creation, even to his elect, about his power. His ability to save you and to bring you into his everlasting blessedness. You need those things to appreciate the grace and mercy of God. That's how you appreciate the power of God to salvation. So his power in salvation, his glory is shown in delivering a helpless people who are under slavery to Pharaoh. And this power is also shown in condemning the vessels that he created for dishonor, created for destruction. Yes, God has created some people for destruction 
It's impossible to read the Bible and not find it. It's there. The details are there in the scripture. People can deny them all they want, but that just proves that they believe a false gospel. Okay? Let's keep working this. I have a lot of stuff. What can we draw from this? This tells us that sin does not and would not have power unless God determined to give it power. Sin could not enslave if it did not have power. You can't enslave anyone if you don't have power. And it could not have generated power by itself. The Bible says the power of sin is the law. The law is the power plant of sin. Once I put you under any commandment, I've given sin power over you. Don't blink your eyes or you go to hell. See if you can stop blinking. If I attach your salvation to you not blinking your eyes, guess what? You're going to hell. And there's no, there's nothing that you can do to stop that. There's nothing that you can do to stop blinking your eyes. And that is the matter of sin and law. That's what the law does. Once God gives you a commandment not to do something, guess what? Matilda is at it. That is how God gives power to sin through the law and producing death. Now, God does not make jokes. God does not play. He says, okay, don't do this. And yet he knows you're going to do it. But then he says, I'm going to kill you. Okay? So God gives power to sin through the law and producing death, and that is condemnation. And our nature is a magnet to sin. Our nature is a magnet to sin. Sin is what we do. Okay? So God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He did it. He said he would do it. And repeatedly told us that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it was not sin for him to harden Pharaoh's heart. And yet Pharaoh disobeyed God's commandment. It was sin for Pharaoh to disobey the commandment of God, and yet God is he who caused him not to obey his commandment. And that means God is the first cause of hardening. If God does not cause it, then it does not happen. A creature cannot harden themselves unless God has first hardened them. It is the domino principle. God has to study. God has to study. And yet, when he comes, he apportions the blame on Pharaoh, whom he said hardened his own heart and did not let my people go. What does that mean? And why is that important? And this understanding you probably have never had anywhere before. 
So you have to listen carefully. And you can only arrive at it by working the whole story as a gospel story, not as a story about Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is being used as a picture of things that relate to salvation. He is a picture of the sovereign God who rules over a people and has the power over life and death, especially over those that he has put under slavery. Pharaoh pretty much controls the life of the children of Israel. So if God has hardened Pharaoh's heart, what does it mean that Pharaoh also hardened his own heart? What does it mean? Number one, because God made Pharaoh responsible for something that he could not do, God made Pharaoh responsible. Pharaoh could not set the people free. He had to resist it. Because a people in slavery cannot be set free by Pharaoh. God made him to resist his command because a command from God does not imply your ability to do it. A command from God does not imply that you have the ability to do that which has been commanded of you. And yet he makes you liable for something that you cannot do. Number two. Pharaoh hardened his own heart because he is in the picture of God who is hardening his own heart. This is where you need to listen carefully. To harden, when God hardens his own heart, it's not in the same sense as God hardening the heart of a sinner. To harden the heart means to remain unmoved, to remain uncoerced by any external force. As was happening with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was being hardened by God in not letting the people go, but that force was external to Pharaoh. Okay? Despite the many afflictions and pressure that we put on him, he hardened his heart, but that hardening, that power to harden Pharaoh's heart was not intrinsic to the power of Pharaoh. It was external to him. Okay? So Pharaoh was only doing that which was with God. And so in salvation, God cannot be coerced by any external force to do anything, to save anyone. There's no external force that can force him to do something that he does not want to do. Not all night prayers, no fasting, no. He cannot be coerced. I need to pay close attention to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I want you to see the parallels here. 
Remember, Pharaoh is a picture of God. And so when God hardens his heart, then it means God has hardened his own heart to not let the people go because that is the reason of the hardening. God is showing what is in himself through the person of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh is doing or not doing. The point will come out clear when I connect the pieces. But what does that mean? Remember, this is gospel. It means God cannot set a sinner free by just issuing commands to them or by performing miracles. Jesus could not and did not set anyone free by just a mere performance of miracles. That would not set them free from sin and death. The nature of God demands that a sinner who is in slavery to sin in slavery to death, under condemnation, and laboring under the weight of the law cannot be set free by just a decree to be good. Shalin, be good, and you shall be saved. <laughs> that is why nine plagues did not produce the freedom for God's people. God did not want the children of Israel to associate their salvation to the plagues. He wanted the children of Israel to associate their salvation to the Passover lamb. Okay? So there are issues that need to be understood for there to be salvation. God is setting the conditions or terms of salvation in other words, what is it that must happen for him to soften Pharaoh's In other words, soften his own heart towards you to grant you salvation. What has to happen before God can soften his heart? And say, welcome to my blessedness of eternal life and righteousness. Exodus 11, verse 4. What has to happen? What has to happen for God to soften his own heart? Then Moses said, Exodus 11, verse 4. Then God said, then Moses said, Thus says the Lord. About midnight, I'll go out in the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the animals, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. Exodus 12, 29. Let's go to Exodus 12, 29. 
And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So we've had nine plagues and none of them have brought about the salvation of God's people. But God says, now I'm going to bring the mother of all plagues, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Why not the death of the lastborn? Why not the death of the middle child? Not the death of the firstborn. And God says, even the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne. This is where God really wants to take things. The death of the Pharaoh, the death, sorry, the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh, not just of any Pharaoh, but the one who sits on the throne. If you go to Saudi Arabia, they have all kinds of, they, they have prince this and prince that and prince that. But there's one prince who is on the throne. God says the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. And God says if the death of the firstborn happens, then Pharaoh will do what? He will let my people go. <laughs> And who is this who is pictured in the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh? Who sits on the throne? Who is this firstborn? It is the Lord Christ Jesus. <laughs> he is the son of God. He is the firstborn of God, of the God who sits on the throne. When this son of God dies, then salvation has come. His death is what will set the people who are in bondage into freedom. Yeah. And this is the reason why Pharaoh is said to have hardened his heart. Because he represented God the Father in this respect. In that God would not reconcile with a sinner would not make peace with the sinner, would not justify, would not set a sinner free, would not call them righteous, apart from the death of the firstborn son, Christ Jesus. Hear me, someone. And that to say, Christ alone is the condition of salvation. Christ alone, not the nine miracles, not the nine plagues, not your faith, not your repentance, Christ alone. If we can prove that Christ is the Son of God, if we can prove that Christ died, then we have good news. That's all there is to it. 
So how do I know that I'm saved? Religion will tell you this morning that you are saved because you are continuously repenting and dedicating and rededicating your life to Jesus. Oh, I'm so rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm going to get baptized for the fourth time. I stopped smoking and drinking. I started to tithe. I mourn and weep over my sin every day. Lordship salvation. I pray at the beginning of every year, I do my 10 days of fasting. Some have stretched them to 40. Jesus in the wilderness. Esther's fast. Daniel's fast. By the way, Daniel's fast. He did not lose weight. He actually gained weight. But God says, false gospel testimony. All that is false. I know that I'm saved because what happened in the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn son of God who sits on the throne. That is clear teaching. Get this. Understand this. And you shall truly be free. I'm not lying to you. Understand this. Because even the son of God came and said in John 8, 35 and 36, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the son, if the son makes you free, You shall be free indeed because he is the firstborn of the God who rules, who sits on the throne. Only the son can come and talk about freedom. Moses cannot talk about freedom to you. The son alone does that. Everyone is a slave to Pharaoh. Everyone is a slave to sin and the law and the judgment of it. But the sun sets free. The sun sets free. And when Jesus talks about setting free, he is not talking about setting free from some... What's the word that I'm looking for? For someone who is hooked up on drugs and stuff like that. Addiction. That's not what Jesus came down here to do. Jesus did not come to set people free from addiction. Yes, you may be set free. But that's not the testimony of this Bible. That's what, no. The son has been revealed to set free his people who are under the judgment of sin and death. That's the freedom that Jesus is talking about. In the time of the Jews, none of them were using heroin. Okay? They were not using, no one was sniffing anything. I told you we have a lot of things to talk about. Let's go back to Exodus 9, 27. 
Exodus 9 to 27. Sorry, Exodus 9, 27 and 28. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I've seen this time the Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. And treat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering in hell for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. At this point, Pharaoh kind of gives a testimony of repentance. Let's see how long it will last. Exodus 9, 34 and 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he had in his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Do you see that now? Pharaoh cannot of himself just let the people go. Because a sinner cannot be set free without proper payment and satisfaction of their sin. And that is why Barabbas was not set free by Pilate. Pilate did not set Barabbas free. The Jews did not set Barabbas free either by saying, oh, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas, let this other Jesus. No. Christ is he who set Barabbas free. Christ was not helpless in that transaction. He still was in charge. Christ set Barabbas free by standing in the place of Barabbas without asking Barabbas if it was okay. Jesus does not need your permission to save you. He never required your permission. All he does is stand in the place of the condemned and they are set free. The children of Israel were only pronouncing, were speaking above their heads what God was saying. God was saying, once the Christ has been given, once the Son has been given over to die, then those who were supposed to die have to be set free. That's what is happening. So Pharaoh cannot just let the people go because a sinner cannot be set free without the proper payment and satisfaction of their sin. And that payment came only by the way of the death of the firstborn, that is the Lord Jesus. And remember at the beginning I said, Moses and Aaron were Levites. Both their parents were Levites. And their testimony to Pharaoh alone to set the people free does not work. Why? Because they represent the law. Moses and Aaron are the mediators of the law, so they cannot set the people free. The law cannot set you free. It is the son who has to come and die in the Passover for freedom to be given. Chapter 10 of Exodus. Chapter 10 of Exodus, let's read verse 21 to 23. 
This is the ninth plague. The plague of darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. The children of Israel had Christ in their dwellings because he is the light. The spiritual darkness that engulfs the earth, humankind, is, a, is the kind that can be felt, can be felt in the ways of the children of men and all the depravity and all the happenings in the world, the things that you hear and read about. That's the darkness. Verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, God save the Lord. Only let your flocks and your heads be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Pharaoh does not understand the gospel as a person. He says to Moses, you go and serve the Lord, but only let your flocks and your hairs be kept back. Leave them behind. And that is an anti-gospel statement. And that is how much of what we find being preached in the professing church in our time. The preachers and the congregants claim to be worshipping God according to the testimony of Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh say? Without the flock and heads. And that means without a sacrifice acceptable to God. This is a very important point. <laughs> this is one of the most important points that I have in this message. Yes, you can go and worship your God, but don't bring that sacrifice called Jesus. Pharaoh is happy for God to be worshipped, but without the sacrifice from the flock. And that means without the cross. That means without Christ. Because the head of the flock is where the sacrifice is supposed to come from. That's exactly what he's saying. And this is how you check to see if one is worshipping God and preaching and teaching according to the truth or not. Because churches are busy there's a lot of activity in the church. YMCA, there's a lot of foolishness going on. So it is not enough to say we went to church today. 
Did you go out to church with the flocks and heads to sacrifice to the Lord or you left them behind with Pharaoh? <laughs> oh yeah, we are a Bible-believing church. That's a useless statement. Even Louis Farrakhan believes in the Bible to some level. Yeah, he actually costs it better than a lot of professing Christians. When you are listening to a preacher, when you are listening to the message, say, I want to see the flocks and the heads in the gospel that is being preached. You have to see the flocks. Hear the testimony of Isaac on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, verse 7. Isaac is about to be sacrificed by his father Abraham as God had commanded. And Abraham has laid his son down and is getting ready to kill him. Genesis 22, 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamp for a burnt offering? I see the fire. I see the wood. I see the church activity. There's a lot of fire. Oh, there's a revival in this church. Oh, people are jumping and dancing. The man of God is on fire. By fire, by thunder. Where is the lamp? Where is Christ? Where is Christ? Where is Christ in this gospel that people are believing? Let's hear Moses. If Moses agrees with such a statement, Exodus 10, 25 and following. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God and even if, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Moses says to Pharaoh, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Because there's no worship of God without the sacrifice and burnt offering of Christ. There's no worship of God without the sacrifice of Christ. And the burnt offering represents Christ on the cross. The death of Christ. Without the shed blood of Christ, there's no worship of God. That blood of Christ has to mediate your worship before God. You cannot speak to God without the blood of Christ mediating for you. And Moses says, Pharaoh must give them. Pharaoh, don't miss this point. Pharaoh must give them the sacrifices and burnt offerings. And that means God himself has to provide the sacrifice and burnt offering of Christ. <laughs> Moses knows what he's talking about. He says to Pharaoh, you have to give us the sacrifices that we may sacrifice to our God. And even as Abraham said to Isaac, 
Genesis 22, again, verse 8, he says, My son, remember the question that Isaac asked, Father, the fire, the wood, but where is the bent offering? Where is the lamb? Abraham says, My son, listen to me. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will, if you read the King James, it says God will provide himself. God will provide himself the burnt offering. God will provide himself as the burnt offering. A lamb for a burnt offering. Pharaoh, you must give us the livestock that we may offer to our God. Remember, I told you Pharaoh is a type of God. So he has to provide that. That's what Moses is saying. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Verse 27. But the Lord had in Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the people and he would not let the people go. God had in Pharaoh's heart so that he would not heed the warnings even under pressure from the plagues. The plagues are like the sanctions that are being imposed on Pharaoh, but they are not yielding any fruit because God is not yet done with his teaching. And so, with all the stuff that's happening in Ukraine, all the sanctions that you're hearing and talking about, they won't accomplish anything until God is done. That's the only way to understand it. God is teaching this. I'm being like, I'm not lying to you. Unless the Lord is done, they're not going to achieve anything. So hearts have been hardened and all sides are playing hard to get. Everybody's trying to show that they have bigger muscle than the other person. Deceiving and being deceived but God's purpose will be accomplished. Verse 28, that's um, Exodus 10. Verse 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, then Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. Pharaoh is getting short-tempered here with Moses. <laughs> Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh is angry, and he dismisses Moses and Aaron and says, Get out of my face, and you shall see my face no more. For in the day, in the day that you shall see my face, you shall surely die. In the day that you shall see my face, you shall surely die. Who is speaking? It is Pharaoh. But who is speaking? It's God preaching. It's Christ who's speaking. This is what is being said. Let's fast forward to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Exodus 33, Moses writes, beginning verse 12. Then Moses said to, to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know 
you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight. You see, Moses knew that he was a grace case. Okay? Moses was not made righteous by the law. I argue with these reformed people saying, oh, Moses was keeping the law. No, Moses did not keep the law, my friends. Moses was a grace case, just like the rest of us. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. Show me, <laughs> show me Christ. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, that's the Lord. My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. My presence will go with you. That's Christ. You see that the P, if you have a proper Bible, is capitalized. My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Christ will go with you and will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. That's what Moses saying to God, show me your glory. Then he said, verse 19, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion or I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And that is another statement that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 9 when he was proving God's doctrine of sovereign grace, election, and reprobation, that God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. Verse 20. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live no man shall see my face and live. The Lord said to Moses, exactly what Pharaoh said to him earlier, that you shall not see my face and live. That's what Pharaoh was saying to Moses at the end of chapter 10. You shall not see my face, Moses. Because if you see my face, you're going to die. And God says, Moses, if you see my face, you're going to die. And that tells you again that Pharaoh carries the testimony of God. Hear this again from Pharaoh, Exodus 10. Then Pharaoh said to him, verse 28, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So it seems like everyone is trying to kill Moses. What wrong has Moses done? Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. God wants to kill Moses. <laughs> In that day, 
that Moses shall see the face of God. In that day that Moses shall see, shall see the face of Christ, what shall happen to him? He shall surely die. Saying what? Saying the end of the law for Moses. When the Christ has appeared. When the Christ has appeared, it's time for Moses to die. When the Christ has appeared, it's time for Moses to die. That's what Christ came to accomplish. To bring the death of Moses. Because Moses is associated with death and not life. His death and the death of those who are under him because the law is the ministry of death and condemnation. That's what Moses carries. Moses brings death. The law brings death. On 71, Interstate 71, going Cincinnati, the, this billboard with the Ten Commandments, I've seen that. I've driven past there for the past 20 years. Every time you pass through that billboard, it only brings death. The Ten Commandments bring death. Those commandments bring death, not life. If there had been something about Christ and God's grace, that would have brought life to anybody who was elect and reading that. But those Ten Commandments are just a reminder of death. They are a reminder of condemnation. That's Moses for you. Okay, so Moses is associated with death. So if Moses cannot see Pharaoh again and live, then Moses cannot cause you to see the face of God and live. If Moses cannot see the face of God and live, it means that the law cannot cause you to see the face of God and live. The law could never cause a sinner to meet God in peace. That's the point. But in Christ, this is what has happened. In Christ, this is what has happened still in Exodus 33 from 21. Exodus 33 from 21. Moses says, Here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. If Moses should see the glory of God, he must stand on the rock. That's number one instruction. You must stand on the rock. He must stand on the righteousness of the rock. That is Christ. He must stand. We have a standing on the rock. And not only that, 
God must hide him in that cleft of the same rock and cover him. Stand on the rock and then be hidden by God in the same rock. There is no other way to cheat it. If you don't stand on the righteousness of the rock, you are going to die. One can and shall only be covered by God in Christ. And they shall stand in the righteousness of the rock that is Christ Jesus. And that's the gospel that God is declaring to you and me. That we shall not and cannot see the face of God apart from standing on the rock and being hidden in that cleft that is Christ. The rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Exodus 10, 29. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I'll never see your face again. Moses agrees with this. Moses agrees with this. I'll never see your face again. <laughs> and yet the reformed people in the confessions say, oh, Moses is back. Moses is back for your progressive sanctification. Moses, yes, you're right. You're spoken well. I'll never see your face again. Moses agrees with Pharaoh and they, and they parted their ways but soon to meet again. But when they meet again, guess what? It will be on account of the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh which testimony we are going to expand in our next Installment from Exodus. That's what we're going to be expounding. But in conclusion, if you can believe a preacher, because I can have five conclusions. <laughs> in conclusion, God had in Pharisee because he is God and is the first cause of all things even hardening. He hadn't felt because he was preaching his sovereignty over his creation, his power over the kings of the earth. God is the one who rules the hearts of the kings of the earth. He hadn't felt because he was preaching the gospel of his son in the salvation of those who are in bondage to sin. In hardening Pharaoh's heart, God was teaching the condition that has to be met in the salvation of sinners. The condition of the freedom. Sinners who are under a power from which they cannot extricate themselves they can't free themselves. And then the text says, and Pharaoh hardened, hardened his own heart. 
Well, because God hadn't his heart. He was only responding to what God was working behind the scenes. But in Pharaoh hadn't in his heart, God was giving us a picture of himself. Using Pharaoh, he was making himself accessible to our understanding. God was making himself accessible to our understanding through the person and actions of Pharaoh. Okay? So Pharaoh, as a type of God, was saying, or God was saying through Pharaoh, that he would not acquit the guilty sinners without proper payment, without the death of the firstborn, the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of Pharaoh has to die. And so, nine miraculous plagues were brought to bear on Pharaoh, but they accomplished nothing in respect of salvation of Israel. Those plagues accomplished nothing. They only brought destruction, but they saved no one. They remained, Israel remained under the taskmasters of Pharaoh. But a condition was announced in the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn that would cause Pharaoh to set the children of Israel free. And if the firstborn dies, if the firstborn of Pharaoh dies, how did he die? He did not have measles or chickenpox. He was smitten of God. The firstborn has to be smitten of God for there to be salvation. And God will see the labor of his soul and justify the many. And so the Lord Jesus is the only condition that God set for the salvation of his people from the hands of his of Pharaoh and his taskmasters. He is the son who sets free. He is the firstborn who came and died. And this is the gospel of Christ, 100% conditioned on his obedience alone, on his death alone, on him as the Passover Lamb of God. Remember John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God happens to be the firstborn of the God who sits on the throne. Okay? And so, that is the testimony of God according to Pharaoh. And it's free. Okay? <laughs> Amen. We're done. <laughs>